Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. Super glad that you are back to spend a little bit of your precious time with me today. Thanks for doing that. I promise to make it fun. And today will probably be explicit because I'm going to be sharing some stories from my weekend this past weekend. It was interesting and at times scary. And throughout the weekend, I kept pulling out my phone making notes of things that I really wanted to share with you guys, lessons that I was learning or had learned. And I think they are so applicable to where so many of us are in our journey, whether it's dealing with inconsistency in choices or inconsistency in progress towards any goal or fear or just not taking action. So the the stories that I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell them in reverse order. I'm going to talk about Sunday first, and then I'm going to talk about Saturday. Uh, Saturday, I was out with some friends and indulged more than I normally do, a lot more than I normally do. want to talk about that and my strategies there. And then I want to talk about Sunday, which I'm going to talk about first. <laughs> On Sunday, I took a ferry over to Martha's Vineyard. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Northeast, uh, Martha's Vineyard is a small island south of Cape Cod in Massachusetts. And We get over there, we take the boat so we don't have a car, and we decided to rent bikes for the day to explore the island, which sounded like a really great idea. It was a gorgeous day. I definitely wanted to exercise. I was away from home. I hadn't gone to the gym. I had indulged the day before. No problem, right? So we walk over to the bike rental place. We pay for the bike rentals, pick out our bikes, and I swing my leg over the seat and realize, oh, God do I still know how to ride a bike? I I don't even know the last time that I was on a bike that moves, like a bike other than a stationary bike. So I sort of had a serious oh shit moment. I have not been on a bike on the road in a very, very, very long time. So as I, you know, got on the seat of the bike, (laughs) I was terrified, right? And my friend takes off pedaling away from the bike shop and I'm sitting there going, "Um, can I do this? <laughs> Am I going to hurt myself, kill myself, hurt somebody else?" And to get from the bike shop to the road, there was this little hill. And if you saw it, you probably wouldn't even call it a hill, but to me, sitting on top of this bike, it was a hill. So I was like, "Okay, step 1. I'm not going to start out going downhill into a parking lot. I'm going to walk the bike." down the hill and then reassess the situation. So legit, I am scared, right? I mean, of course I can ride a bike, but I haven't in so long that I was all in my head with fear. So I I get off the bike, which still had the kickstand down, and I walk it down the hill and my friend turns around and he says, did you just walk the bike down the hill? I'm like, 
yeah, sure did. <laughs> sure did. <laughs> and everybody in the parking lot should be very glad. I was just really in my head and I was focusing on my fear. And just as soon as I got that bike in my hands, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, what if, what if I lose my balance? What if I fall? What if I get hit by a car? What if, what if, what if I don't want to break a leg? I'm on an island. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to pedal around this parking lot before we were going to go to another side of the island. Like Before that, let me just, you know, let me just get comfortable around this parking lot. Mind you, there's cars and people in the parking lot, but still. So I'm pedaling nervously, slowly. <laughs> if you could have seen this, you would have laughed at how scared I was. But it's been so long. Anyway, I don't need to justify my fear. Damn it, I'm scared. <laughs> so I'm pedaling towards the end of this parking lot. <laughs> and the end is marked by the ocean. So it's like parking lot, water. I was too afraid to turn around. I mean, am I capable of turning around on a bike? Yes. But I was focused on my fear. I hadn't done it and I wasn't sure I could and I was afraid that I might fall. I was afraid that I, I just wouldn't be able to do it. And it was just easier to keep going in the direction I was already going than it was to turn around completely. My fear got in the way of my momentum. So my friend is behind me and he says, you're going to have to turn around or you're going into the ocean. And I scream, I can't turn. And you'd love to know that there are these young men sitting in the back of a pickup truck, like maybe five feet away from me, who are laughing hysterically because I'm young, I'm capable, I'm healthy, I have two legs, and I'm terrified of turning my bike around. So instinctively, out of fear, instead of using the handbrakes on the bike or, you know, turning the wheels, I dropped my feet to the ground to stop, which, I mean, there's handbrakes for a reason, right? You're not supposed to use your feet. And all I could touch when I put my feet down was like my tippy toes, right? And I had flip flops on. I know, not smart, but I wasn't prepared. So I had flip-flops on. So as soon as my bike in full motion <laughs> gets the drag of my flip-flops on the ground, my flip-flops fold in half and it's just my bare feet dragging against the ground. More fear, more pain. And now I'm even more afraid because I'm like, oh no, I hurt my feet. So my friend says, do you want to take the bikes back and just walk? And I'm like, yes, of course. I don't want to do this. And then realistically, no, we're not taking these bikes back. We're biking. I can do this. And bike we did. I didn't fall. I didn't crash. And I really walked away with some lessons that so strongly paralleled my journey with fat loss and my journey with fitness that every mile or so I was like, I need to stop for a second and make a note. And I'd pull my phone out of my purse, which was in a basket in the front. Super cute. Wicked Witch of the West style. And I'd pull out my phone and make a little note because I wanted to share with you guys what this really reminded me about progress and momentum and fear. So I put together a handful of things that really struck me along this bike ride. And the first one is you don't have to focus on the fear. Yes, we often do focus on the fear, but we don't have to. When we focus on the fear, we feed the fear with our thought and our attention, right? Turning around in that parking lot was so much harder when I was thinking, I can't. What if I crash? I might fall. I don't know how to stop. I might get hurt. 
But when I was thinking, of course I can turn. Just pedal. Just turn. Stop being dramatic. There are five-year-olds turning. There are 75-year-olds turning. It's a bike. Stop being dramatic. It was so much easier when I wasn't focusing on the fear, and I was almost paralyzed, like to the point of riding into the ocean, when I was focused on the fear. So it wasn't that I couldn't turn the bike around. Of course I could, and I did multiple times on that bike ride. But when I was focused on the fear, the unknown, the uncertainty, the newness, it paralyzed me, right? But when I would just say, come on, of course you can do this. Really? Stop being dramatic. It was so much easier. And then as as people would pass, I was focusing on the fear of, oh my God, I'm going to hit that person. And that created much less stability than if I just didn't focus on that fear. If I was like, you know what? I'm just it's just me. It's just me. If I stay on my side, everything's good, assuming that the person coming towards me wasn't as out of control as I was. But if I focused on the fear, oh gosh, here comes somebody. Am I going to be able to stay over far enough on my side? Are they going to come too close to me? Is the fact that they're going by me just going to rattle me to where I lose my balance? Focusing on the fear made it so much harder. Focusing on, I haven't ridden a bike in years and I don't have a helmet. No lectures about helmets. I know I should have had a helmet, but I didn't. Thinking, I'm in flip flops. I'm going to fall. I'm going to get hurt. I'm on an island. And if I have to go to a hospital on an island, how am I going to get back? Those kinds of thoughts created instability. They prevented momentum, right? That line of thinking would have had me walking my bike right back up to the bike shop and missing out on a really cool opportunity and a fun day. And more than a fun day and more than a cool opportunity and a sunburn, more than that was this powerful sense of, I can do so much more than I think I can. And I know so many of you were like, it's a bike. Kids ride bikes. I know, but the point is, I was afraid. And when we let our fear stop us, whether it's our fear of good food choices, our fear of a good workout, a fear of consistency, whatever the fear is, when you focus on the fear it grows. And when you focus instead on your potential and you tell yourself, I can, I, th- I can do this. I can either convince myself that I can't or I can convince myself that I can. And either way, I'm going to be right. You don't have to focus on the fear. Attention fuels your fear and action eliminates it. The second lesson that I wanted to share with you from this bike ride is kind of related, and that is Focusing on the obstacle draws you toward it. Do not focus on the obstacles in your path because then you are drawn to them. They seem bigger and they distract you. I was not excited to realize that the first part of our bike ride was along the road, not a bike path, like a real road with real cars that were actually moving. And I, when we started out, I was very focused on the cars and staring at the car like, does he know I'm here? Can he see me? Am I going to hit him? Is he going to hit me? And the more I focused on the car, the more I'd find myself drifting towards the traffic, right? Away from the shoulder of the road. No bueno. And the same thing when we got on the bike path and other bikers or walkers were coming towards us. I panicked and I thought, I don't think they know that the woman speeding towards them has very little control of this bike and anything that happens with it. But the more I focused on the obstacle, the other person, the more I moved towards it. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. I need to be on the right. But when I just focused on my ride, on the shoulder of my side of the road, 
on where I was going. Just pedal straight, stay to the right. That produced a dramatically different outcome, not only in how my bike rode, like literally if I focused on the people to my left, I drifted to the left. If I focused on the right shoulder of the road, I stayed towards the right shoulder. Not only that, but just I was so much more calm. I was panicked and nervous and freaked out when I would focus on the obstacle. But when I kept my eyes on my path, I was so much more relaxed. And when I was more relaxed, I was much more in control of the bike. At one point, my friend in front of me started to stop. And I was so focused on him stopping and the fear and the obstacle that that presented. I was like, no stopping, no stopping, no stopping. Instead of just staying where I was, I could have gone around him. I could have slowed down myself. I had many, many options, but when I was just focused on what he was doing, not only was I creating panic and drama and chaos, but I wasn't focused on what I could do to stay in my lane, right? Do not focus on the obstacle, right? Sounds familiar. Eyes on your own work. Focus on the next step in front of you, or in my case, the next meter or two meters or staying to the right, but focus on your own journey, not on the obstacles and not on anybody else's journey. Now, this third lesson was probably the biggest one, and it's sort of two parts to it. Starting from stop is the hardest part. So getting going is so much more difficult than staying going. In fact, early in the bike ride, these two women, for some reason, decided to just dead stop with their bikes in the middle of the bike path. So we had to stop and go around them and then start again and start again going uphill. And this was, you know, within the first five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. So I wasn't comfortable. Well, really starting at any point that whole day, I wasn't really comfortable because starting from stop is so much more challenging because when you're going, you just keep doing what you're doing, right? You've got momentum. There's nothing that really needs to change. But when you're starting from stop, you have to coordinate so many different things. It's about balance. It's about momentum. It's about focus. And that is a really tough place to begin. But you have to go all in. See, momentum is what you really need, right? The challenge comes when you hesitate. If you've been on a bike recently and you know that you are starting, you just have to like put your feet on the pedals and go. You can't sort of have like one foot on the ground and one foot on the pedal and just sort of like push and then go and then balance again with your feet. You're never going to get that momentum and you're never going to get that experience. You are most stable when you're moving. Think about that. You are most stable and you feel most in control when you are making forward progress. I was thinking back to when I first started a business. It was hardest at the start when you don't have momentum or experience, right? And there are so many different options. And if you hesitate and you hedge and you're sort of like one foot in, one foot out, you're going to really struggle. But if you just say, I'm doing it, let's go, then you start to find your rhythm and your groove, just like on a bike. And this is very, very true when it comes to the choices that we make in finances, in relationships, in fat loss, in fitness, all of those things. 
most of us have a hard time when we're not really committed. When you are stopped on a bike and you want to start, you've got to commit. You can't hedge, right? You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be a mountain bike racer to start, but you have to commit. And the same thing is true when we're talking about improving our eating habits. We can't just sort of like, well, is tomorrow the day and what am I going to do? And maybe I could do a little bit of this, but oh, I don't know. I kind of woke up a little bit tired. I have these cravings. That is the same as being on the bike and sort of having like one foot on the pedal and one foot on the ground and not. No, you have to commit. You have to commit. You need that momentum. It doesn't mean you need to do everything. But when you pick that one thing you're going to do that represents an improvement for you, you've got to be in it. You've got to do it. You've got to commit because when you are stopped, when you are at that place where you aren't really making forward progress, that is the hardest part. So pick one thing and commit and go. And as soon as you're moving and you have that momentum, it gets easier. And then the longer that you create that momentum, the more experience you have, so the less fear and the less doubt that you have. Those are my primary takeaways in terms of the bike ride, but I think they're so major. And I know that the next time I experience fear, I'm going to remember that. And I'm going to say, the biggest thing is just to go, to commit, to keep my eyes on my own work, to not worry about all the what ifs, all of the problems, all of the obstacles, whether it's cars, whether it's people, whether it's the fact that I had on tight jeans and flip flops, that I didn't feel comfortable. If I had focused on all of those things, I wouldn't have done it. But once I committed, once I was in it and I had momentum, momentum that I created through forward motion, it felt easier. And by the end of the day, I was like, I can totally do this again. No sweat, right? And I hadn't fallen and I hadn't hit a car and no cars had hit me and I have a sunburn to prove it. So it was a great day. I want to switch gears now, kind of bike pun. I couldn't really figure out how to change the gears on my bike either, but that's a whole other story. I know how to change the gears here. I want to talk about a lesson that I relearned, got to practice again, and I've shared here on the podcast before, but I think it's really worth talking about it, especially with like a real world practical experience related to indulging. These aren't new lessons for me, like the bike ones were, or learning them in a different way, because it's been forever since I've been on a bike. Um, But they're probably a bit newer to you. I don't talk about them as often, and I certainly don't have as much experience with them lately because I don't indulge all of that often. So I don't get to practice these strategies for when I do, but it was a great chance to do so. I eat pretty clean the majority of the time, and I don't do so because I feel like I have to and I'm punishing myself. It's because I feel my best that way. I certainly enjoy treats, right, indulgences, but I like the way I feel when I don't indulge more than I like the way I feel when I do indulge. With that said, though, I am not a purist and I absolutely have my days of indulging and I have my days of overindulging. And I had one of those overindulging days this past Saturday by choice, right? It wasn't an accident. And it was a really great relearning experience for me. Now, This leads me to the first thing that I want to emphasize with you guys about how I choose to indulge. These days are not an accident. I choose them. I am intentional about it. And so that is really the first thing that I want to emphasize, the intentionality of it. Because for me, in my experience, there is a very big difference between deciding ahead of time, I'm going to have a few drinks and maybe a few desserts. There's a big difference between that 
approach and breaking a promise I've made to myself, right? There's a difference between going to a party, for example, which is my case, and saying, I'm not going to drink today. I'm going to eat really clean. And then an hour into it saying, oh, screw it. I'm eating whatever, right? When I decide ahead of time, I'm being conscious about it. It's not reactionary and I am in control. It's not like waking up to a killer craving and deciding to go off the rails and then talking myself into why it's okay to go off the rails today and then feeling like crap about it and then doing that again every weekend, every Friday night, every few days, etc. When I struggled most with my weight, I was very reactive to cravings or temptations or situations that presented an opportunity to indulge. And I wasn't I wasn't intentional about it. It was very reactive. It was, oh, that looks good or oh, everybody else is doing it. And so now for me, I am not going to indulge just because I feel like it, but rather because I decided ahead of time. And usually for me, for me, this isn't how you have to do it, but for me, that means a few days in advance, sometimes more than that. Sometimes it's a few weeks in advance. It just depends on the situation. It's it's a way that it makes me feel in control. It's not that I've gone off the rails and was faced with all these temptations and I went crazy. It's very conscious and it's totally okay to indulge and even to overindulge sometimes. But I want to feel in control. I don't want to feel like the food is controlling me. So my choices are intentional and deliberate. And just that small adjustment of deciding ahead of time is a game changer for me. Okay. The second thing is related to that control and being intentional, and it's about my strategy for before and after, right? So it's not like, oh, here comes Saturday, I'm going crazy, the end. No, that is the beginning, and it's never I'm going crazy, but there is a there is a strategy to it so that I do feel like it's not just throw caution to the wind and treat my body like a garbage disposal. No, not at all. What can be, and I'm going to do this backwards as well, because why not? I talked about Sunday before Saturday, so let me talk about the day after before I talk about the day of. Lots of people, when they have an intentional or an unintentional day of indulging, the next day is really tough, right? They have good intentions for the following day, but they're tired. They often have cravings. Maybe they're hungover. Maybe they're still in the mindset of eat all the things or a combination of all of the above. And I've been there. I've done that. I know from experience that the day after can be a slippery slope. It can turn into, oh, screw it, whatever. Oh, there are leftovers. Or, oh, I'm really tired. I have a hangover and the bagel would be really amazing or whatever it is. And because I have that experience, which I would imagine many of you do as well, I decide ahead of time what the following day is going to look like. Now, that doesn't mean I meal plan, though sometimes I do. In this case, I was out of town, so it wasn't as practical to meal plan, but I decided ahead of time that Sunday, the day after indulging, was going to be a great day of taking amazing care of myself, eating really well, eating really clean, maybe eating a little bit less than normal, and being as active as possible, right? I wasn't sure what the plans were for the day, but I knew I was going to work out. And my sort of backup plan was if there wasn't going to be activity during the day, I was going to walk to the beach in the morning and do a beach workout. But we woke up and decided to rent bikes on Martha's Vineyard, which you've already heard about. So I knew that I would be active throughout most of the day. And I'm telling you this because 
It's so critical to have a plan for the next day. I know some of my clients have gone so far as to make meals ahead of time for the next day so they're right there or to, you know, have a rotisserie chicken and some salad or some freezer meals that they can reheat for the next day or they know where they're going out to eat and they've decided ahead of time what they're going to order. Whatever works for you. But I knew, for example, that I was going to not have breakfast, right? Oftentimes when I'm away, I'll just go out for breakfast and I'll have an omelet. And while I know I would have made a fat loss friendly choice because breakfast is kind of the easiest meal for me to do that, I just didn't need more fuel in my system 10 hours after dessert and alcohol. Like I just didn't need it. So I knew I wasn't going to have breakfast that day because simply it wasn't a restriction thing. It wasn't a punishment thing. It was a I know my body doesn't need fuel. I went from eating and drinking to sleeping. I do not need to wake up and have another meal. No. So I knew that skipping breakfast was part of my plan and a light lunch was part of my plan and that no starch or sugar at dinner was part of my plan. Sometimes on a normal day, I'll have some kind of carb at dinner like sweet potato. But the day after indulging, I knew strategically ahead of time, nope, I'm going to keep it really clean. And I did end up going out to dinner on that Sunday night after biking all day long and indulging the day before. And there was this amazing looking snapper special, snapper like the fish, and it came with rice. And as soon as the dish came out, I just took the rice and I put it on a bread plate and I gave it to my friend. Done. Not on my plate. Not considering it. I don't need to sub it out. It also came with broccolini. So I had my fish. I had my vegetables. No need for the rice. And the other thing, you know, I wrote a blog recently about the idea of cheat days and the blog title if you guys are trying to find it because I do have a daily blog where I share my workouts and what I eat Monday through Friday. Um, The blog was called Tim Ferriss Was Never a Fat Girl. You can read why it was called that if you want to check out that blog. But in that blog, I talk about the notion of cheat days. That doesn't make me feel good. If I wake up, and I used to do this, but if I wake up and I'm like, oh, pancakes, cereal, cookies, Mexican food, chips, alcohol, I will feel like garbage a few hours into the day. And I don't want there to ever be a day that I feel like garbage. Certainly not because I created myself to feel that way. Like my own choices made me feel like garbage. Heck no, techno. So knowing that I was planning to indulge on Saturday night and feeling really good about it, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not apologizing for it. It was conscious and strategic. Um, I worked out on Saturday morning, had a really hard workout, and I didn't have breakfast. Kind of same, same reason that I didn't have breakfast on Sunday. Like, my body doesn't, I know I'm going to have more fuel later, so my body doesn't need that much for the whole day. Then I had a light lunch of spaghetti squash um, with meat sauce. And then I went to the party and I had a few drinks and a few desserts. And that is very abnormal for me, but I'm also okay with it. And I think that's an important point to make. Number one, have a plan for the next day. Number two, be really conscious about the way you go into that day. I think if you wake up being like, woohoo, it's a free for all, you're not really going to enjoy it. In short order, you're going to feel like crap. So I always try to stay really mindful of where is this tipping point between, hey, like this is this is fine. This isn't like the end of the world if I have a day every once in a while where I indulge. Um, but I also don't need to throw caution to the wind. So working out that morning, eating light throughout the day, and then not crossing that line to the point where I feel absolutely miserable, I think is a big part of it. And for the sake of context, because I wasn't always at this place, 
This is not something I do every week. Realistically, I would say it's something I do maybe every six to eight weeks. And for me, that works. I'm okay with that. I feel good about that. There's no guilt. There's no judgment. Like, it's fine. Now, sometimes it happens less frequently than that, like it might be a few months, and sometimes it has it happens more frequently like that. There's no magic number here, but I think the key is as long as I feel in control and I feel like I'm I'm doing justice to myself and my body and how I feel, part of that is making sure that I'm working out, making sure that I'm not treating the whole day as a free-for-all and just going crazy, but really being strategic. I don't want to eat anything that's not really worth it. So just because I'm saying, yeah, Elizabeth, like, indulge today, that doesn't mean that I'm just going to eat average stuff because I can, right? And I have sort of air quotes around that because I can. I want it to be amazing. And if it's not amazing, I'm not going to eat it. So those are just a few things that came out of my very real world weekend. And I like to keep it totally honest with you guys about when I indulge because I don't want to come across as a purist. I don't think we need to be a purist. I don't think that to get results, you have to be a purist. But I also think that we want to be in control of these indulgences. We don't want to let the food take control of our strategy, but we always want to be in the driver's seat of our choices. And I think that's really, really important. And that's one of the things, um, just as we wrap up here, that I work very hard on with the clients in my fat loss fast tracks. Like, how can we feel more in control of the choices? It's not about how can we have willpower of steel and stay away from the cookies forever, but how can we be more in control than we are now? And my degree of control now, understand, is a few years into this journey, right? Your control might look different. It might be one indulgence a day. And that is reflecting control and an improvement based on where you are now, right? So it's very much relative. I am not saying, hey, you should only indulge every six to eight weeks. Nope, that's not what I'm saying. I indulge more than that, right? More frequently than that. But it might just be like a few bites of something, But that's me. And that's where I'm at a few years down the road. It's not where I was as I started to lose weight. So understand that the key is to stay in control and be doing something that you feel good about and that represents an improvement for you. And that is, again, the really the crux of what we do in the Fat Loss Fast Track. What's an improvement for you in your life that we can practice now and get you really comfortable with? Just a reminder, because it's hard to believe that we're sneaking up on July already, the next Fat Loss Fast Track 12-week group starts on Sunday, July 9th. I will be opening up registration to the wait list, so early access to register this coming week. So the week of June 18th, I will be opening up registration to folks that are on the wait list. So if you want early access or just additional information about that, definitely hop on the wait list so you don't miss your chance to spend your summer with me and um, get to know me a little bit. And I want to get to know you, help you reach your goals. I'll be back uh, in another couple of days with another episode, sharing some stories, sharing some strategies. And I hope you stay in touch. If there's anything I can do to support you, let me know. That is why I'm here. Hope you guys have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. 
Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, where my goal is not to inform you, but to transform you. And if you would like to receive free motivation and strategy and recipes, workouts, meal ideas every week right to your inbox, just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. It's a great way to get the tools, the strategies, and the practical implementation assistance that you need to create your own transformation between podcast episodes. Just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. See you there. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.